Welcome to the Woke Buffalo Podcast with your host, Matt Meyer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Woke Buffalo Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Meyer. Well, it is 2021. Um, If you are a human on this earth, I think we've all witnessed a crazy 2020. Um, Some good, some bad, and a lot of unknown. If you're like uh, me and my family, we've gone through crazy ups and downs. And uh, we've really, uh, well, we spent a lot of time together, a lot of reflection, and coming out uh, in this new year. And I don't know what it's going to bring. One of the reasons why the guests that I'm having on today is uh, because of all that uncertainty, I wanted to really get a mental health perspective on... uh, on everything that was going on. So that's uh, one of the reasons for the guest today. I'm actually recording this intro in my brand new office. Um, I, re- I decided to open up a private facility um, outside of where I'd been. I'd been in my previous uh, space for about 12 years. And since it's a uh, health club, a gym, it was closed for months and months. So I uh, see some opportunity to go out on my own and I'm super excited about that. Um, I have a really nice private space with a few little additions and extras that I'm really psyched to talk about. And I'll probably talk about that in the podcast. And if you guys follow me on social media, um, you'll see my updates as well. So before I introduce a guest, I just want to say uh, this is episode one of season two. And uh, the podcast came to birth uh, this past spring during COVID. And I got to interview, oh man, I think about 11 guests. I have a list of about 50. So thank you for all the support that you guys have shown. I've gotten some really great messages. I've gotten some, uh, some DMs, some emails, just talking about uh, the podcast and you know how they enjoyed it, how it helped them, how it maybe connected them with some other practitioners. So to support the podcast, if you don't mind, you know, leave a five-star rating. Uh, leave a comment in the comment sections on maybe how it's helped you. Share it with a friend. My ultimate goal of this podcast is really just to bring some knowledge, some on health, wellness, uh, nutrition, anything that can help a person. And like I had said in many other podcasts, one of my things I love about listening to podcasts is it really connects me with people. My guest today, Brian Costello, <clears throat> is a mental health counselor. Um, Brian and I have never met actually. It was a social media relationship. We connected on Instagram maybe about a year ago and immediately I could just tell, I was like, man, I, this vibe is, uh, definitely someone that I want to meet. I want to talk to. And I wanted to bring the issue of mental health during this pandemic up to the forefront. Um, a few other guests that I've had on, we've talked about it. And since Brian is a professional in his field, but he also takes this really uh, unique look from kind of this holistic mind of counseling. So looking at all these different factors, so immediately that was on my radar. And the one thing that uh, the Brian and I had talked about is how bringing this community of people together um, for the greater good is really our goal. So I hope you guys really enjoy uh, my interview with with Brian here. Um, Like I said, you can find it on all the major podcast 
outlets, Spotify, iTunes. Um, but please, if you have any questions, comments, leave a message for me. Um, my Instagram handle is mattmeyer911. You could also find me at the Woke Buffalo or my business page, Revive WNY. I always try to post, you know, good, positive stuff, keeping everybody, uh, keeping everybody in the light, as they say. So happy New Year, everybody! Um, I hope this year brings you uh, peace, joy, tranquility, and uh, you know, just a moment to reflect on everything. And as always, everybody, stay woke. All right. Well, good morning, Brian. Happy New Year. It is uh, January 1st, 2021, and uh, I uh, really appreciate you being here uh, this morning. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for uh, inviting me. No, no problem. This is actually, this is one, this is my first time using uh, this Zencaster. And I think, uh, so there's a couple little glitches for the audience. Bear with me. Um, Brian is a local guy. However, just scheduling wise and things like that, it was a little easier to um, to to do this audio mix from afar from our uh, from our houses. So, um, in the intro, I talked a little bit about. Uh, I just gave a very quick overview of how we met, and I actually had told people that we've actually never met personally. <laughs> but the uh, you know one of the positive things about social media is. The ability for people to connect and I think that's the positive out of all that so uh, it's pretty cool having this community of people uh, that we've never met and I know that with your social media you really that's what actually drew me into a lot of what you're what you were doing you're just your post and there was just this energy about you um, so I appreciate reaching out and you know becoming uh, Instagram buddies yeah yeah likewise Tell me if you don't mind, tell me a little bit about a little bit about what you do and then backtrack that and let's talk about a little bit about your origin story of how you got into the field of you know mental health and, and well-being. Yeah. Um so I'm a, a therapist in private practice. Um I work out of a group called Core Mental Health Counseling. Um so we're located uh downtown Buffalo. Um, and we do in-person and um, teletherapy. Um, so primarily, and um, and I also am a, a KSAC, which is a credentialed alcohol and substance abuse counselor. And so I did that for many years and uh, until I moved into private practice and um, I have my, um, I'm a licensed social worker. Um, and so I primarily do mental health and trauma work. So I, um, you know, my, one of my main focuses today is uh, uh, EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, so yeah, I'm in private practice, and um, you know, I, I feel very um, very drawn to the work. Um, it kind of feels a lot uh, very very life purposey. Um, not that that's a word, but um, I like it. I like making up words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell me if you don't mind, I have, I mean, I know a little, I know a lot of little things about, you know, mental health counseling. Is there, if you don't mind, kind of, what's the difference between, is, is there a difference between mental health counselor, social work, addiction counseling? Are they titles? Are they certifications? Are they uh, specialties? Um, 
so uh, uh, social work is the um, like to be a licensed social worker, you have to go for your master's in social work um, and then sit for the licensing exam. And then um, a mental health counselor, so it's a MHC, um, is also a master's program. And then you have to sit for your um, similar, you have to sit for the license and then you become an LMHC. So like Got it. Got it. Um, the KSAC is um, is in New York State, um, and that is a credential. So it's um, I forget how many hours of of like additional continuing ed, um, but it's uh, a fair amount of continuing education, and then two hours or uh, excuse me, two years of um, working in the field of addiction counseling, and then you can sit for um, that exam, the KSAC exam. Nice. So they're all kind of subspecialties and specialties in the field of, you know, mental health counseling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's not a a huge difference between LMHC and licensed social workers. Um, They're, you know, social work uh, focuses, you know, you can take concentrations and like mental health counseling, which is what I did. I I knew I wanted to be a therapist Um, and I was already working in the field doing therapy. It was just um, very specific to um, addiction at the time. Um, but social work, I think, focuses um, both on the individual and also a lot of the systems. Um, and then um, mental health counselors primarily focus on, you know, the individual, um, you know, primarily therapy, group therapy, um, things like that. Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. So what made you want to get into this field, Brian? You know, start from uh, early. What was your, uh, you know, what was your story? Yeah. Um. So I was, I think it, it drew me, um, you know, I, I um, initially went to school for uh, fine art uh, at Damon College, um, and that year was a, a really big transitional year for me. So, um, you know, I, I, I guess there's a huge part of me that was always drawn to, like, healing and spirituality. Um, you know, I've, I've said this before, but I, I think I read my first um, Deepak Chopra book because my father stumbled upon Deepak Chopra. I, I think I read his, um, I think it's Seven Spiritual Laws of Success when I was like 16 years old and discovered, wow, wow. discovered the idea of like the ego. And uh, at that time, it was just mind blowing, uh, you know, this concept of an ego, which is, you know, primarily focused on the opinion of other people. And I was a 16 year old, which you know, in my head, I didn't care what anybody thought, but in reality, I cared what everybody thought at all times. Um, and so, you know, that kind of opened up a door, um, for me and, and, you know, I was really into kind of art and expressing myself that way. And, um, you know, I, I, I just had a, this draw to, healing and this draw to the natural world and spirituality. And, um, and, um, I also had this really self-destructive, um, part of myself. Um, and that also expressed early on in my life and, um, and took me to a place where, um, you know, things had to really shift when I was about 19 years old. Sure. And, And so, um, 
you know, I think part of the uh, switching from art to social sciences at that time is, you know, in, in reality, looking back, um, I would not have known that at the time, but looking back, it was, you know, I was trying to fix something that I didn't really see in myself. Um, and, you know, so I have passed with addiction and anxiety and, you know, all this stuff that kind of comes along with that. Um, and so I kind of switched majors to social sciences and, and then eventually um, psychology, and, and I knew I wanted to work. Eventually, I, I discovered I, I really wanted to work with uh, addiction, um, you know, which a lot of uh, addiction counselors are also in recovery. Yeah, that's so interesting you say that. You know, um, I had met so many people that are generally in the field of healing and therapies, and very often it starts kind of with their own journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my first kind of intro podcast, um, I had mentioned I had spent some time working at a methadone clinic, and it was really interesting. There was about 10 or 12 counselors, Mm -hmm. and three of the counselors were actually in recovery themselves, Mm -hmm. and the, the other seven or eight counselors were all kind of these fresh kids out of college, and it was really interesting watching the difference of the, you know, the social worker that was just out of college Mm -hmm. had never had any experience with uh, addiction, really. Yeah. But then you had these three counselors that were, um, you know, these veterans. And, you know, it's kind of watching it anecdotally. It's kind of like to myself, I'm thinking, man, is it, it's got to be difficult to to counsel that if you haven't experienced that what are Mm -hmm. are your thoughts on that um yeah i mean one of the the first questions i get asked um you know when when working in addiction clinics um by clients was you know are you in recovery um and so you know there were there would be times where i would disclose that i would you know use self-disclosure for the benefit of the of the client Um, sure but at the same time, you know, I had a I had a colleague when I first started in the field. He was he had been an addiction counselor for seventeen years at that time, and and he kind of warned me against it. He said, um, you know, uh, that's cheating, um, and you don't want them wow. to focus on you don't want them to focus on your recovery, and you don't want them you don't want them then to necessarily like. But by you saying that, is that about you? You want them to like you? You want them to um, respect you in that moment? Um, and he said. Um, you know, make that happen by the work that you do. Um, so I, I started to use uh, self-disclosure a little sparingly at that time. Um, I've met uh, phenomenal counselors in recovery. I've met phenomenal counselors that have no direct experience, but maybe they had family experience with addiction. Um, addiction so prevalent um, in our community and so prevalent in our um, society. Um, so, you know, I, I yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily think that you have to be in recovery to be a really effective um, clinician working with addiction. Um, but, you know, it, I, do I think it helps? Absolutely. I think it helps. Yeah, exactly. I mean, here, not to put you on the spot, but let me let me get your thoughts on this. And this is something that I've thought about for a long time, really, after mm-hmm. working in that clinic. Do you think that addiction <clears throat> is more to do with uh, the person and behavior, or do you think addiction has to more do with the substance? Um, both. 
Uh, definitely okay. both is my opinion. Um, you know, I think there are certain things um, that make people prone to it. Um, you know, age of onset is is one of those factors. And, th and there's like data that supports this, but age of onset, um, the type of substance that the person starts with, how often they're using it. Um, history of trauma certainly is correlated. A history of mental health certainly correlated. Um, you know, and... and um, <clears throat> so it's a little bit of both. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, uh, that's a question that, you know, when I talk with people in the field and even on the other side of the field, it's always that question of like, you know, is it the, is it the substance or is it the person? One thing that I had realized at working at spending time at this clinic is it seemed like there were, um, layers of different addictions. You know, the person maybe entered the program because they had an addiction to, I mean, at the time, this is the early 90s, so there wasn't a mm -hmm. lot of like pharmaceutical um, issues at that time. This was yeah. definitely more heroin, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the oxy and those things had not really come on the scene. But what I noticed was, is that, you know, they entered because of maybe they had uh, an addiction to heroin, but they had all these other groups and it was like gambling, smoking, mm -hmm. you know, all these factors. Do you think that, uh, does one addiction kind of sprawl out into others and it just becomes almost like a habit of having these addictive tendencies? What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it shape shifts. Um, I often use the example of, uh, like Gollum from Lord of the Rings you know, that's obsessed with the ring. Um, ah, yes, yes. So I think somebody has, you know, like we always kind of ask people at the beginning of the group, what's your drug of choice? Or sometimes people will say your drug of no choice. Yeah, know, yes. The loss of control. Um, you know, so I think people eventually will find their uh, their, their favorite, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I mean, addiction shapeshifts. I would always describe, and, and this is not, you know, my information, but it's um, kind of parroting here, but... Um, Addiction as a mental obsession, a physical compulsion, and spiritual bankruptcy. Um, and so, you know, it's it is it about the substance? Like, is heroin an addicting substance? Absolutely. Is alcohol, nicotine, gambling are those um, you know addictive um, in and of themselves? Yes, um, but it's a combination of those things, and and I think the the person, um, and, but also our our human brain is wired. We're very prone to addictive behavior. Do you think that that's a modern day, do you think that's more or becoming more of a modern day uh, issue? Like how, if we look at the history of addiction, uh, is this something that's taken a real hard stride forward in the last hundred years? What are your, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, my thoughts are my, my guesses um, really, you know, cause I wasn't alive a hundred years ago. Um, but I, I think probably yes. Um, that it's increased, you know, um, I think we are, you know, you mentioned how Instagram kind of brought us together and, and that's, uh, it's amazing. We wouldn't have done this podcast probably, you know, if that wasn't the case. Um, but at the same time, I think as connected as people are in, on one level, we're also very disconnected from each other. Um, you know, and, and so the, there's a, a, one of my favorite sayings is the, um, opposite of addiction is connection. Ah, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's and I, amazing. And I often, I often describe a substance, um, as synthetic human connection, you know, so we, at some point in our origin, we reached for food or we reached for a drug or alcohol 
um, as a means to self-soothe and connect rather than a, another human being. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. I've never really heard it described that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I think going back to even what you said about the social media, that is so true. It's like, we're, we're connected with more people, but I feel like we were losing the real intimate relationships of mm-hmm. tribe. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, we live in these, it's almost society has created this, you know, we live in these neighborhoods, these constructs, but how many people don't even know their neighbors? They don't know the people around them. And for, you know, you could argue millions of years, we lived in these tribal societies where everyone, you know, took part in the community. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think what's the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. And now it's like, it's, you're in your house, you do this. And I think there's a lot of lost connection. And I mean, I'm guilty of it personally, mm-hmm. uh, of getting caught into those and, you know, and not really going out of my way to know my neighbors. So, yeah. um, and I think that's a huge factor And that as that comes along to addiction and behaviors as well, uh, that's, I, I could see where that would be such a parallel. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think it's a unintended consequence of the way that we live you know, the way that our society is and how um, we, you know, I think generally that we work too much um, and that becomes kind of the, the focal point. And I think um, we all fall prey at different times, myself included, to, you know, some of the stuff that comes along with capitalism. And I'm both really grateful, but there's some, you know, unintended consequences of working as much as we do. And, um you know, I, I think a, a lot of that stuff has its origins in uh, fear. And that's that's one of the best things that has come out of recovery for me is um, this, this notion that um, human beings are governed by fear. Um, fear of, of um, you know, losing something that we have or not getting what we, what we want and we're driven by fear. And, um, you know, and as a result of that, I, I think we um, are just always on the move, always going, 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 going. And and I kind of think this, uh, you know, the, the global pandemic has, has um, put things to a halt, you know, really significantly. And uh, people have been able to kind of take stock and what's really, really important to them. And, um, you know, I, I, I certainly have during this time period. Yeah, absolutely. You know, very right at the beginning of all this, I, I was uh, talking with my wife and I said, I think that this is going to either cement a lot of relationships and a lot of family bonds, or it's going to, it's going to blow a hole in them, you know, and I think it's really made people have to do a lot of introspection or it's made them go the opposite way and Mm -hmm. they've disconnected from everybody. So tell people, so there's a lot of stigma between mental health. There's a lot of stigma between, you know, even just if someone was saying, I go to a counselor, I go to get therapy. Uh, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? If you, could you walk through, you know, just a basic, like, I guess how an intake or a session would be if for those of us, uh, for those listeners that have maybe never, you know, been to a mental health counselor, what would be, what's a blueprint look like? Yeah. Um, so yeah, one of my fa- favorite quotes, I actually found this on it was like Facebook or Instagram, but somebody posted, uh, I am in therapy to deal with the people in my life that are not in therapy. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, I, you know, I definitely get the the shame and the stigma and, 
Um, you know, I have been to therapy myself. Um, and when new clinicians come into the field and they ask for some guidance and how do you deal with X, Y, and Z, I'll, I'll ask them right off the bat, have you gone to therapy? And if they say no, I'll say go to therapy and you need to iron out your own stuff because um, you can only take people as far as you've gone. And there's been a lot of experiences that most people have had in their life and it really needs to be integrated. You have to have a, you know, a bigger understanding of this. Um, so, you know, my, my, I guess, thoughts on mental health in general are, you know, it, it, um, it's a little reductive here, but it's, you know, it's, it's a trauma informed approach. Um, and a trauma informed approach looks at human behavior and not says, um, you know, why are you doing this? It says what happened to you that you're doing this. Um, and, you know, so therapy, I think in general helps us understand a little bit better why we do the things that we do. Um, and human behavior is pretty predictable. And oftentimes it's, you know, it's connected to earlier experiences, which is why I love EMDR, um, you know, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get to. Um, so as far as a, you know, an, an intake process, people can either call or email, um, and then we'll, you know, uh, I usually do, you know, a, a little phone consultation with people and make sure we would be a good fit. Sure. Um, and then, you know, they come in and um, we, I just get to know them and what their thoughts are on therapy. Why now versus six months ago or six months from now? Um, and, you know, I like to ask the, the miracle question, which is gets an, an idea of um, if therapy has a start and a stop, what do you want the stop to look like? Um, so I'll ask the miracle question, which is um, if the things that brought you into therapy were gone, when you wake up in the morning, do you go to sleep and miracle takes place and all the anxiety or the depression or the, the self-esteem stuff or the um, phobias or, um, you know, whatever the, the trauma and the trauma response is, if that's gone, what does that life look like for you? Um, wow. That's uh, that's powerful. Yeah. And, and, and it just, you know, it, it helps us identify kind of the, the target here. Um, and, and then we, you know, we together, we work on, on that stuff. No, I love that. And so tell me and maybe break down a little bit too. So what I've noticed, and, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in psychology and mental health, but I'm not, you know, I'm not in practice. So mm. I've, I've have other practitioners. I, I know a lot about CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy mm. and kind of what I've pulled out of that, which is interesting is that CBT is kind of giving you these these tools to deal with the the side effects of, of what a lot is going on is cbt something that gets to the root of the problem and is it something that you use is it a, just another tool in the belt um i i personally view it as a as a, a tool um you know but it 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 still is helpful. Um, you know, CBT focuses primarily on thoughts, um, but the connection between thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. Um, and so, you know, it, it's helpful to have a third party, um, you know, reflect your thoughts back to you so that you can hear them out loud. Um, and, you know, a, kind of a coping skill of CBT would be thought challenging. So put that thought on trial, <clears throat> you know, and, and so if somebody is thinking that people are judging them or they're not qualified to do X, Y, and Z, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that thought. Is that thought a true thought? Um, 
you know, and, and I always quote when I'm doing like some CBT work or reframing or thought challenging, things like that. I, I quote this bumper sticker that I see drive um, on the back of somebody's vehicle in Buffalo, which is don't believe everything that you think. I love it. Um, yeah. And, and so anytime I'm using CBT, I'm also um, using some mindfulness um, and pulling from, you know, Eckhart Tolle's work and, and just the nature of the human being is, you know, as a sentient being, we're, we're, we are consciousness and in, within that consciousness, which is, you know, I, I pull from Buddhism a little bit too, which in, within that consciousness, we have a mind. Um, and that mind, part of the mind is a recording system. It's recorded everything that we've ever experienced and also our interpretation of everything that we've experienced. And also sometimes that stuff gets stored in the, um, in the state in which we experienced it and the age in which we experienced it. So one of my favorite things to ask people, which this is less CBT and more, um, they call it IFS, which is internal family systems. I'll ask people when they get really flooded emotionally throughout their day, I'll say, check in with yourself, check in with the part of yourself that's really reactive right now and ask yourself, how old do I feel right now? Uh, and you'd be really surprised what the brain comes up with. You know, it, it'll say things like 16 years old or um, I feel like I'm seven again. Um, and that kind of points to, you know, a little bit of the work um, in my office is, um, you know, and then we'll explore that. What happened? What did you make that mean about you, that event in your life? I love that. So is CBD, is CBT, CBD, <laughs> CBT considered, is that the... It seems like that's more of the mainstream mental health, um, I guess, path. The work, a lot of the work that you do, are you considered an outlier because you're getting into things like mindfulness and spirit and trauma? Yeah. Um, I mean, when I first started uh, in the field, it was um, about almost a decade ago. Um, I was definitely um, an outlier, um, certainly, uh, when I would you know, teach about consciousness or mindfulness um and you know on the weekends go hit up a sweat lodge um, yeah, was, yeah you know I, i've i've had the nickname granola at multiple jobs um hey i think that's why i i think that i think we were destined to be uh to be friends because yeah. this is like you're you're reiterating exactly my my journey 20 years ago yeah yeah um yeah um and and my family uh will sometimes refer to me as earthy um, earthy yeah, yeah i get the earthy yeah. crunchy earthy and granola are probably the most common uh, words thrown out there uh, so now though um i would say i'm i would i wouldn't say that i'm i'm an outlier uh, in my approach um so there's a lot of you know people that are therapists that kind of have have had this like awakening experience or in the process of or you know i don't think that stuff ever really ends um but yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, there's a huge um, push right now to bring spirituality into, um, into therapy. And um, it's kind of the, the approach that I take is, you know, or the assumption that I have, which is like we're a, a soul um, that has had experiences and part of therapy is integrating those experiences. And, you know, I draw from a lot of healing backgrounds and workshops when I was much younger. Um, you know, prior to getting into therapy, I, I worked at a local health food store, which um, just drew in a lot of people that were really in, into this stuff. Um, and I had amazing, 
teachers and guides throughout that process, just incredible um, people and a community while working there and going through undergrad. And, um, you know, that shaped a lot of um, what I believe and who I am. And yeah. Oh man, that's, that's so awesome. That it's funny because that's, um, that sounds very much like my journey and kind of mm-hmm. getting into what I was doing. You know, I recognized that in psychology and mental health, that separating that spirit just seems so crazy. You know, when I was yeah. a senior in high school, I took a psychology class and, you know, we had to write a paper and I, I'm up in the library and I took it because I thought it was going to be in, you know, kind of an easy class mm-hmm. and it, it, it did interest me. And the only book out of all, you know, the psychology books in, in the high school was this book on Carl Jung on synchronicity. Mm-hmm. So I pick up that book and I'm reading it and, you know, admittedly, there was a lot that was very deep, but there was this thing about synchronicity and synchronicity is really this, you know, his idea that nothing is by chance. Mm-hmm. that everything happens for a reason. And I ended up writing a paper on that and it really kind of clicked with me. And for seeing the separation of, you know, modern medicine and it happens with conventional medicine is this compartmentalism of everything, you know? So when you're talking about bringing in the spirit and the emotional, all these pieces that makes so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. And even as a therapist, you know, looking at the whole person. And I think modern medicine and, you know, the, the, the modern world has separated so much of this. Uh, and that was probably one thing that I saw things that you were posting that just kind of connected me. I was like, Oh, okay. I was like, this is, this is exactly kind of what I'm thinking. Do you think that the field of mental health and psychology uh, do you think it's going to grasp on to some of these tools that you're using moving forward? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we, we, I I know you and I have similar, um, backgrounds and, and, you know, getting into different healing modalities and, and a lot of these like ancient healing techniques are coming to the surface again. And, and honestly, I, I mean, I've, I've done workshops over the years on shamanism and have done a little bit of work with shamans and healers and um if it was a little um crunchy and new agey i was doing it in my early 20s especially um and i just you know i i kind of feel like um you know we were talking about wim hof prior and um prior to recording and and how this uh ancient healing is kind of coming to the surface now i i think emdr um the person that started it francine uh, Shapiro, she just kind of stumbled upon it. And I, I, I really think that this is, this is for me at this moment in my career and in my path, um, is kind of the, the intersection between, you know, shamanic healing or, or really, you know, spiritual healing and, uh, and, and therapy. Um, so un- unpack that EMDR a little bit, and, I, and I'll tell you, interesting, it started coming on my radar, just some from some people that I follow. And about a year or so ago, I reached out to um, a buddy of mine who's a psychologist, mm-hmm. and uh, definitely a little more conventional. And I kind of, I asked him, I said, hey, what's, tell me about this EMDR stuff. And he didn't poo-poo it, but he was kind of like, well, there's no, you know, he's like, there's real no scientific research that it works. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, you sound like some of the surgeons that I work with. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we kind of laughed and chuckled and I, I do respect everybody's opinion. So break down a little bit, um, give us the, you know, kind of the, 
EMDR for dummies, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's actually the opposite. It's uh, extremely evidence-based and researched, and it's used at the VA. It's kind of the, um, you know, one of the gold standards for, so it's considered evidence-based, which means it's gone through peer-reviewed research. Um, and oh, it, wow. And it's, um, and it's considered extremely evidence-based because it sounds so, um, you know, it just sounds like a little woo-woo. Um, and so, so researchers would uh, test the theories and test the modalities, and they found that it was extremely effective, um, you know, repeatedly. Um, so, um, there's, it, it goes on, EMDR uses this model, which is the adaptive information processing model, um, which is, uh, has to do with memory consolidation and how trauma impacts memory consolidation. So, you know, what I always ask clients is what do you do before you cross the road? And they'll say, look both ways. Um, and that's memory consolidation. Um, so when a traumatic event takes place, the, this is the theory, um, when a traumatic memory takes place or a traumatic event and it floods the person, um, the memory consolidation doesn't take place how it normally would. Um, so that information doesn't get desensitized and kind of processed as is. So it will actually stay in the state in which it, um, in which it happened. So if the body um, <clears throat> say it's childhood abuse or, um, witnessing abuse in the house or, um, neglect, things like that. And the, and the child, uh, there's the fight, flight and freeze system, uh, that takes place when we experience something traumatic. Um, oftentimes in childhood, the response, because they're, you know, they're little people around larger people, the response is freeze. Um, uh, okay. Okay. So they call them like trauma bubbles, but these there are these memories that get stayed or stored outside of the um, the adaptive information processing network, so they don't get consolidated, um, which means they stay. You know, and, and Jung would talk about this how the unconscious mind is not oriented to time and place. Yes. Um, so it's almost you know if an event took place at nine years old, um, then the consciousness of the nine year old is kind of stuck back there. And that's a little bit of um, internal family systems or parts work as well as we all have parts and sometimes these parts are much younger. Um, so, and then in, you know, in, in your, your life as an adult that those old feelings can, can get triggered um, or we oftentimes develop ways to protect ourselves from, from those older memories and traumatic memories. Um, and they kind of get buried a little bit and then an event might take place like a relationship or a breakup or a car accident or a global pandemic where everybody has to stop moving so quickly. Uh, and a lot of that stuff just kind of bubbles to the surface. So EMDR goes back and, um, sometimes we can start in, um, present day. So what I usually do is I have my clients do a timeline. So we'll start very early on and sometimes we'll go back a generation and we'll talk about intergenerational trauma and how that stuff is passed down through, um, you know, people's bodies and uh, emotion states and things like that. Uh, but we'll start early on and they'll just share their story. And one of the things that I always add in here is that um, trauma is um, really anything that um, created a, a, a very flooding event in the central nervous system. Um, and what is, what might be a, a, not even a bad day for you and I as an adult could be extremely traumatizing to a child. 
um, sure. by being left uh, and not picked up for, um, you know, reading a word wrong in fifth grade and everybody starts laughing and now all of a sudden they, they clam up in a, in a public speaking kind of arena uh, as an adult. So we can look for what they call targets, target memories. Um, or we can start present day, um, tune into this feeling state, <clears throat> and then I'll ask people to, let's say it's an anxiety feeling, I'll ask people to describe that feeling in the body. So they might describe a tension in the chest or a nervous uh, feeling kind of pit of the stomach. Um, and then I'll, it's almost like a meditative practice. I'll, they call it a float back. So I'll say, so float that feeling all the way back to the very first time that you felt that way. And then using the body in therapy has been absolutely incredible. So we float this feeling state back and it comes up with a memory, a memory of, you know, oftentimes it's um, younger, much younger, and there's definitely adult events that take place with this as well. Um, and then we get an image memory. And then I ask this question, which is what did you make that mean about you? So if uh, dad was emotionally unavailable or he used to yell a lot or mom was really critical or, you know, whatever the, the story is, whatever the events that were taking place were, um, I would ask that, you know, when you tune back into an older memory, you'd ask that little kid basically um, or that memory, um, what did you make that mean about you? And then you're looking for a negative cognition is what they call it. And, and that's something like the common ones, uh, I am powerless let's say it was abuse, or um, I am not good enough. Um, and then, you know, we identify the negative cognition, uh, the image, and then that's, uh, that's called the setup. And then using EMDR is kind of the vehicle to desensitize and, and reprocess that memory that got stuck outside of um, memory consolidation. So it's, it's considered maladaptive if you felt powerless as a kid, but you still have memories of, of being powerless. Uh, and so when you desensitize that using eye movement or other forms of bilateral stimulation, um, that information, just the volume turns down and then all of a sudden um, it can be consolidated. And now it's oriented to time and place where, where the adult person can protect themselves. So, um, you know, or, or all of a sudden you receive these insights that, um, you know what, I'm not uh, inadequate. I'm actually you know, this really incredible person, or I've done all these really amazing things in the last several years. So it's, it's, um, it's awesome. It's absolutely incredible. It sounds really powerful. You know, it's something interesting that you, you had said to about, you know, the, the childhood trauma and those little things that kind of, uh, evolve that mm -hmm. kind of roll into a bigger thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm reading this, uh, my wife and I are reading this book called The Whole Brain Child right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's so interesting because it's talking about how we have to, as adults, you know, and parents, we have to change a lot of behaviors that were passed on from our parents and our mm -hmm. parents. And it's not that they're wrong. Some of it was a social, you know, just the way things were. It's the way they were taught. Yeah. And what I'm learning a lot about, you know, mental health and emotional health is, you know, being able to kind of first go into yourself and clear and then being able to tackle and, you know, work with the other problems around you. Um, and that work seems so powerful and mm -hmm. so, uh, so enlightened with getting to the root of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So 
we had talked, and actually this is kind of what sparked this uh, this podcast, which is interesting, maybe a couple weeks ago, you had posted and talked a little bit about the, I think the toll that this pandemic is has taken on people. And I kind of commented that I think we're just scratching the surface on mm-hmm. what's what's to come. What are your thoughts on the next, you know, the next year, the next couple years on where we're at society-wise as far as mental and emotional health? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I was asked to be, uh, to come back on a podcast that I did um, last year, uh, I think maybe a few months into the, the pandemic. And, you know, they, they asked me to talk about um, pre-COVID mental health and then, you know, COVID mental health, uh, the impacts and, and it took me a little bit to, um, to figure out what I wanted to say, because I I found that I wasn't, um, initially, you know, the first maybe six months into it, I didn't really feel the significant impacts. And, and so I was like, man, am I just like really disconnected from, from people right now? And uh, I sat with that for a while. And then a therapist, uh, actually posted a video, uh, a colleague of mine posted a video and we talked about how he feels very emotionally protected by a lot of um, what's going on in the world because he is um, doing this work with other people and, and is of service to other people. And, and that's kind of a, a recovery approach is you kind of forget about self when you're being of service to other people. So I was in my office doing all this healing work with people and, and I felt very um, centered and grounded and okay. Um, sure, sure. You know, so I think um, I think there's some wisdom in that to be a service to other people, um, and and especially at the beginning of this, I I um, I took stock in things that that felt important, or at least my actions at the time, and and I decided that um, you know I wanted to kind of pivot a little bit as a result of this, and and really you know we at the beginning of this conversation we talked about you know the the it takes a village. Um, and community is something that we're lacking. Um, my hope is the result of this is that that will actually, um, people will slow down a little bit and, um, and there will be community more. And, and, you know, I, I miss people. Um, and I think that's a lot of people, um, are kind of having that experience right now is, um, you can't see people like, like we used to. And, uh, I really, I, I miss that. And I think most people do. Um, so that, that's my hope, um, with, with all of this is eventually things can, um, I don't want to say go back to normal, um, but that we have reflected on some things and, and, you know, and, and pursue the things that are, are really important. Um, I also think that, um, you know, a, a trauma response is to stay busy a lot. Um, and, sure. and human beings are, are, it's, it's kind of a, a coping skill that people, uh, develop is to just stay busy all the time. Um, and, and right now things have slowed down so significantly that, um, a lot of people's past stuff is coming to the surface. And, and I think, you know, globally or cosmically, um, I think it's, um, I don't know, not that I think like the global pandemic happened because human beings needed to have this upheaval and and healing, but I think it is a thing that seems to be happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm right there with you. I think that from a larger view, there's so many factors that are coming to play. You know, the some of the 
some of the indigenous uh, healers that are out there from some of the Native American and Mayan cultures, mm-hmm. you know, they talk about this time and there's some writings about around this time of 2020 that are really interesting, but they had really talked about how this is not happening to humans. This is humans happening to the world. Mm. And that this is, uh, you know, kind of this consciousness that we've come up with where we're forgetting about the, the basics. And this is kind of the byproduct of this. Uh, this is the evolution of, we know where we're going and, you know, these giant cities where people are disconnected. Uh, this is kind of that byproduct. You know, I, I talk about, I've done a little work at a mission down on the east side. And it's funny because, you know, it's a nine minute drive from the burbs. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're walking into a, an area where there's, you know, there's homeless people, there's violence, there's hunger nine minutes away. And I think people are so disconnected to what's happening. Um, You know, we're sitting on our couches and watching the TV and ordering our, you know, ordering DoorDash and ordering stuff off of Amazon. And we've lost so much contact with, you know, kind of reality. Mm -hmm. You know, my hope through all this is that there are lessons learned, uh, you know, and it starts personally, you know, I'm, I've been really doing a lot of self-reflection on, you know, what I want to do and where I want to go. And I think if we take those responsibilities personally, that will only, that will only create change, you know, outwardly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are some of your, you know, what moving forward, are there, uh, what are, what are kind of your goals for, uh, for the next year and any new training or, you know, knowledge that you want to, uh, that you want to take up? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I actually just purchased a training yesterday, but, um, it's on somatic experiencing and, um, using again, just, uh, another modality that's using the body, uh, in connection with the mind. And, and there's a lot of spiritual influence in that as well. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, I don't know. I, so I think there's this like, um, spiritual, like signature soul signature that seems to be, um, I used to, um, have a client every once in a while that would just be this like perfect fit, you know, and it would just keep me going because I was so burnt out working in addiction. And then, and then this client would just come in and it was just like the stars aligned and it just kept me going because I could be of service and, and, and I got so much out of working with them. And it's weird because now it seems like that's the majority of my clients that are coming in. Um, they have this like, you know, signature and and uh in this approach and maybe have done hallucinogens and need help uh integrating that stuff or they're just like spiritually minded um and so you know i think people like that you know i think there's a lot of buzzwords to describe that you know whether it's um, a soul group or a spiritual person or a person on the path of self-actualization or um, you know, an old soul or empath, whatever you want to call that. Um, they're woke, Brian, they're woke. Yeah, they're woke. That's, yes. a new, that's yeah. the new terminology, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, woke people, um, I think are, um, drawn to, and people are drawn, um, that need healing. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of, um, woke or, uh, empathic people draw 
people that really require healing to them. Um, and so sometimes that can be a little draining. So one of my goals, uh, and I'm really glad that uh, you and I talked about this before, but I'm glad that we connected uh, for this reason. But one of my goals is to um, uh, connect with other people that are doing healing work um, so that we don't have to work in a bubble uh, and that I can learn from somebody that does energy work or um, and they can learn a little bit about trauma and neurosis and spiritual neurosis or you know sometimes people call it like spiritual bypassing and using spirituality as a way to disconnect from our past or our trauma or our emotional states um, you know so that that's definitely one of my goals is to I don't know if it's to create community but I feel very drawn to um, connecting with a community of, of uh, healers um, so that's definitely uh, 2021 goal Hey, sorry, I lost you there for a minute. No problem. Um, but I, I love, I love all that you said. I mean, that makes so much sense to me. And when I opened my practice, you know, when I started practicing 20 years ago, that was my goal was this integrative approach. And it was really challenging at the time, uh, in this area, at least to find that, but it's been slowly ch changing and coming together. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's been just so amazing because I really do think, you know, I have, when I see a, a client for the first time, I tell them, look, my, well, the only goal I have is for you to get better. And that, that has nothing to do with me, you know, fixing you. Mm -hmm. And I said, if it means me referring out to this person and this person, the end result is for you to heal for you to deal with your trauma, whether it be, you know, an injury, whether it be emotionally, spiritually. And I think for other practitioners, like to me, that's the, that's the sweet spot. And that's mm -hmm. where your business will actually end up um, really flowering because you're putting them first. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I'm super psyched. I think that this has been amazing. That was one of the reasons why I started this podcast because I wanted to be able to meet like-minded professionals and then put that out there, mm -hmm. you know, and I had said before, if this gets shared and helps one person, <clears throat> you know, maybe to reach out to myself or yourself or anybody to give them that little bit of fuel, mm -hmm. then, you know, it's all been worth it. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah, so you post some really awesome stuff. Like I love your social media posts. It's super positive. It's engaging. So just kind of tell everybody where they can find you, um, you know, out there in the, uh, the world of uh, Instagram and, and Facebook and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so it's Brian Costello counseling, uh, pretty, pretty original. Um, so um, that's on Instagram. I think it's actually Brian Costello counselor uh, on Instagram and counseling on Facebook. Um, but I'll share the same content on both. Um, sometimes I'll do short videos or, um, you know, just um, different content on things that I've learned over the years. And honestly, it's been a really creative outlet. Um, and, you know, there's this kind of notion, you got to give it away to keep it. Um, so I've been really trying to um, to do that. And um, healing is definitely a, a, a passion of mine, both um, personally and personal growth and and working with others. So that's kind of the intention with the, um, you know, the Instagram um, page. Um, and then, you know, I have a, a profile on psychology today. So if you Google my name, um, social worker, Brian Costello, there's uh, 
you know, the Psychology Today profile will pop up as well as Core Mental Health Counseling's uh, website. Oh, that's perfect. And I'll, I'll link all that into the show notes. And um, that way, if anybody wants to uh, look up your business and things like that, we can uh, go there. But I definitely, for anybody listening, highly recommend you at least give them a follow and, you know, you'll get some, you'll get a little taste of, you know, kind of what, uh, what you guys are into yeah. from your counseling practice and things like that. So um, I'm super excited about that. And at some point, yeah, there'll definitely be a, an episode number two and we can, you know, kind of we can evolve on some of the topics and things like that we talked about and yeah. see where we're at in the world at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate uh, spending your new year's morning mm -hmm. uh, with me and um, I look forward to, uh, you know, meeting and kind of growing and evolving our relationship as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great way to, to start the year. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, buddy. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in to my interview with Brian Costello. It was truly awesome. I mean, I think I've said this with probably every guest, but I could spend two or three hours talking. Um, I just don't think that many people want to listen. So Brian is somebody I definitely want to have back in the podcast. Um, all of his info are, is in the show notes. His Instagram, uh, the Core Mental Counseling website is there. Um, there was a little glitch in some of the sound. I was using a new uh, podcast um, uh, app per se. So there was a little lag where we were talking and I just wanted to go and just do a quick primer of that after we had gone off, we discovered it. Really the missing piece of that was, was Brian's uh, wanting to connect people together. And that's really what that little missing blurb was. And him wanting to connect people in healthcare together, people in the field of integrated medicine, and of course, all for the better being of the client. So if you missed a little piece of that, that's what it was for. I hope you guys thoroughly enjoyed it. I'll have another podcast launched uh, probably in two weeks for you. So happy new year. Everybody stay, stay, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, look forward to connecting with you guys in the future.